Good morning. Okay, raise your hand if deep down in like in the core of your being, when that song was playing, you wanted to get up and do a, a, a few shakes of the, the... All right! All right, so I'm not alone. Okay, so confession. I've been working on that video forever, and um, when no one's... Well, I don't think Shelly has seen me dance in my office, but... Like, after a while, like, you just really want to, like, get jiggy with it. So, anyways, <laughs> although I did not live in the disco era, but anyways. Okay, uh, if you are visiting with us this morning, uh, I want to personally uh, welcome you to First Christian. I'm glad you're here uh, because I know that you have jumped the hurdle, the big hurdle, and that is just stepping foot in here. So, um, thank you for being here this morning. We're glad you're here. Uh, today is a special day in the life of our little people because today is Promotion Sunday. And uh, if you didn't get that already from the video. Um, but when you look at the faces of those kids, I mean, I wish, I wish all of you would have been at these home visits with Shelly and I because when Shelly would present the Bible to them, um, it, was, it was so funny to see how like some of them reacted differently and then some of their siblings would like gravitate towards the Bible too and like listen to it be read, and it, it was funny, it was funny, um, and in fact, I was just thinking, we're talking about the power of God's word this morning, and um, I thought to myself, you know, if only more people responded to a Bible and God's word like those children did, um, because they were just like so excited to have their own Bible that was colorful and has awesome pictures in it, so uh, anyways, thank you for those who opened your house and let us come do a little home visit uh, this summer has been a busy summer, and I know that uh, probably everybody always says that, but really it has been a very busy summer, uh, just because we as a staff here have not only tried to live out Orange philosophy in our personal lives, but also how we function here at FCC and how we do things and how we make decisions, and uh, the home visits is part of that, and so was uh, the eighth grade transitional dinner that we did at Monocles a couple weekends ago. Uh, just to make ourselves available to help uh, these students and children make these transitions um, in, in life. So uh, thank you for that. And it's, it's really great to be a part of a church that is doing all these new initiatives that no doubt are helping support students and children with these transitions and helping them with uh, growing in their faith through all the changes that they're going through. And then speaking of transitions, uh, your senior pastor, Greg Taylor, isn't here today because uh, he, along with his family, are uh, transitioning into this new phase. Uh, they are moving their oldest daughter, Jordan, into college down in Tennessee. So if you could, you know, before you go about your day, uh, say a prayer for your senior pastor as he and Marla are making a huge transition in their personal life while they're making all these other transitions that are going through here in our ministries at FCC. Okay, so when Greg told me I would be preaching today, I got to confess to you, I wasn't that excited about it because we're, I'm preaching out of 2 Kings, the Old Testament. And sometimes when I think of the Old Testament, I default to the... Uh, the thought that the Old Testament is old, well, it is old, but 
irrelevant, uh, not living, not breathing, and not penetrating the hearts of God's people and, uh, and growing the church and sending the church on fire for God as, as we depart. And so um, I wasn't that excited about it. Uh, and I don't um, want to make this claim that all people view the Old Testament that way. But I do know that some people, when they know that the sermon's going to come out of the Old Testament, you kind of slouch in your pew and you're like, oh my gosh. It's like a roller coaster, you know. It's like, man, where are we going with this today? So um, I know what that's like. And I want to start our morning off reading out of Romans 15.4 and use this text as our launching pad into the, the main text this morning. And it says this, For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us, so that through the endurance taught in the scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. Okay. So there's something that we can learn this morning from the Old Testament because, uh, well, let's keep in mind this verse as we look in, in the life of King Josiah. We're going to be in 2 Kings chapter 22 and 23. So if you'd want to flip there, um, you know, when you're in the Old Testament, it helps to stay focused when you actually have the text opened. So uh, flip to uh, 2 Kings 22 and 23. And then after we go on our adventure with King Josiah, we're going to come back and revisit this hope that Romans 15.4 mentions. Okay, I want to start us off by giving you some broad history of Israel that will lead us into 2 Kings 22. Can I get the map of Israel there? Ah, yes. Ooh, wow. It's a little distorted, but okay. So... You've got Israel here. You've got uh, the name King Solomon, pretty, uh, pretty popular uh, name in the Bible. King Solomon, he died. And when he died, the nation of Israel, uh, they disagreed and they were divided and fractured on who should come to the throne. So Israel divided in half. You've got the northern kingdom that was made up of uh, 10 out of the 12 tribes of Israel. And then the, the bottom King, or the, the southern kingdom, uh, known as Judah, was made up of the other two tribes of Israel. Eighty years before Josiah came to the throne, there was no more northern kingdom. Northern kingdom, that orange part, it's gone. Uh, the northern kingdom rebelled against God, and after so long, God uh, handed them over to the Assyrians. The Assyrians came in. And a lot of people died, a lot of people fled, and never returned back to their, their homeland. In fact, um, this is just, uh, you know the story of the Good Samaritan. Uh, Samaria is in that part, and when the Assyrians came in, they intermingled with the, uh, the Jewish people. Then you get the Samaritans, and that's why Samaria, they would always go around Samaria, because, they didn't, because of the, the, the interrelationships with um, people that weren't Jewish. It wasn't recognized, and so they were, they were viewed as unclean. So that, that kind of um, puts the, the story of the Good Samaritan kind of in this text as well. But anyways, okay, that was a tangent. That wasn't even my notes. Okay, so during these eight decades to follow, uh, Judah would also fall farther and farther 
into sin. Uh, under the leadership of family members and elders of Josiah. If you read the chapters leading up to chapter 22 in 2 Kings, you'll find that a lot of, uh, well, Josiah's father and other family members and how they led. And the, the text even says that they did many evil things in the eyes of the Lord. So when Josiah comes to the throne, he's entering into a very dark world, as if the world couldn't get any darker, but a very dark world nonetheless. And he had no godly example in his life. Because, I mean, within 80 years, you know, they had walked away from God. They weren't following God's word. So he had no godly example. Now we come to 2 Kings chapter 22, and it starts off with this. Verse 1 says, Josiah was eight years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem 31 years. Then this, the scriptures go on to describe Josiah's character by saying that uh, he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord and followed completely the ways of his father David, not turning aside to the right or to the left. And then in verses 3 through 7, we are told, if you do the math with um, what's in the text, Josiah was about 26 years old, and we're told that he makes the decision to take what money was given to the temple, so kind of like offering, and use it to repair the temple. And in the process of uh, repairing the temple, verse 8 tells us that the book of the law was found. Okay, don't forget, these people haven't been reading God's word for 80 plus years, so this was a big, uh, big find. Then we come to verse 11. When the king heard the words of the book of the law, he tore his robes. Okay, that's something that we don't do anymore in our culture, but in their culture, that was like, uh, it was an, an action that was deeply rooted in, in, in emotion, deep emotion. And then uh, King Josiah orders several people uh, within the temple that held uh, certain positions in the temple. He orders them to go and inquire of the Lord for me and for the people and for all Judah about what is written in this book that has been found. Great is the Lord's anger that burns against us because those who have gone before us have not obeyed the words of this book. They have not acted in accordance with all that is written there concerning us. Then, this is how the Lord God responds to that. I am going to bring disaster on this place and its people. According to everything written in the book, the king of Judah has read. Because they have forsaken me and burned incense to other gods and aroused my anger by all the idols their hands have made, my anger will burn against this place and will not be quenched. Now after that, we come to chapter 23. And chapter 23 starts off with the word, then. So on three, we're all going to say then together. One, two, three. Very good. Okay. And then means that there's a transition in the text, that we're, we're coming around the corner to something new. 
We're shifting gears. And verse 1 in chapter 23 says, Then the king called together all the elders of Judah and Jerusalem. He went up to the temple of the Lord with the people of Judah, the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the priests and the prophets, all the people from the least to the greatest. He read in their hearing all the words of the book of the covenant, which had been found in the temple of the Lord. The king stood by the pillar and renewed the covenant in the presence of the Lord to follow the Lord and keep his commands, statutes, and decrees with all his heart and all his soul, thus confirming the words of the covenant written in this book. Then all the people pledged themselves to the covenant. It would be this pledge that King Josiah would lead the charge to bringing numerous reforms to God's people. Up in this, up to this point in history, God's people uh, had idols to Baal and Asherah. And both Baal and Asherah were considered gods of fertility. Uh, Baal was considered more of a, a fertility god in the sense of crops and weather and, and all of that. Asherah was a goddess of love, uh, motherhood, war. Both were, were, were considered fertility gods. But with Asherah, little fun fact here, Asherah, they would build an, what's called an Asherah pole. And for, you know, for 80 plus years... The result of that was God's people actually erected an Asherah pole within the temple. Now, with knowing that these are fertility gods and that they are pagan gods, you can only imagine what their worship was like with this pole. It was very uh, offensive. It would. It was very sexual. It was very deeply rooted in sin. So, King Josiah burned all the Asherah poles. Uh, he did away with idolatrous priests. He did away with the worshiping of the sun and the moon. He tore down where male shrine prostitutes lived within the temple. There was actually a place where they would live within the temple. All of this that, even like today, we're thinking, oh my gosh, how could such a thing happen within the temple where they're supposed to be worshiping God? There was a lot of other reforms that King Josiah brought about. Those are just a few that I wanted to share with you to communicate to you that within these 80 years, God's people had really drifted away from God and had really, really fallen into deep, deep sin. And then at the end of all these reforms, King Josiah instituted the observation of the Passover. The Passover being like the biggest celebration for the Jewish people to remember what God had done bringing them out of Egypt. They had fallen so far away from God, they're not even celebrating the Passover anymore. So when Josiah becomes king, he's stepping into a really messed up world where sinful behaviors had crept into God's people. And it broke the Lord's heart. And it, it really saddened him to see 
his own people that he had chosen to bring redemption into the world, falling into their sinful desires. Now let's rewind to the beginning of this text, okay? This was all started by someone who came to the throne at the age of eight years old. Do we have any eight-year-olds in here, by chance? <laughs> all right, I see a little hand. Okay, well, in the video, you saw first graders. So add like a year or two to, to what you saw in the video, that would be an eight-year-old. How in the world could an eight-year-old become king of a nation? How could that happen? Well, the first thing that I want you to get from the life of King Josiah is this. A young leader can lead. Someone young can lead. And I know it, to hear that coming from me is probably odd because I'm not all that seasoned in life myself. But I truly believe that to the core of who I am because halfway through high school for me, things started clicking. And I, I guess I didn't, me personally, I didn't buy into the low expectations that society had put on, or has put on teenagers. And doing nothing but self-consuming activities just wasn't enough. I wanted to be a part of something bigger than myself. And as I was searching for that, I found that the bigness that I was looking for was found in God's kingdom. We didn't have time to read the whole account of King Josiah this morning. But if you go home and you read the passages that lead up to chapter 22 and 23, what you'll notice is Josiah didn't think that he had to have all the answers as a leader. What Josiah did is he surrounded himself around people who knew more than him. And it was those people that made him the great leader that he was. Uh, the text says in verse 2 that he, Josiah, did what was right in the eyes of the Lord and followed completely the ways of his father David, not turning aside to the right or to the left. There are two quotes that I love that pertain to leadership. And the first one comes from Andy Stanley. Andy Stanley has this leadership podcast that I started listening to a couple of months ago. And in that podcast, he, he said, a good leader surrounds themselves with people who know more than them. God doesn't expect us to have all the answers. That's his job. And it's okay as you lead in, in whatever areas that you lead in your personal life to tell someone that you don't know, but that you'll find out. It's okay to not know all the answers. What God's looking for is someone to just step up to the plate and take a swing and willing to give it a try. And now my second quote comes from President Kennedy. Uh, with me being a Cardinal fan, th this comes from President Kennedy when he went to the 1962 All-Star Baseball game. He said to the great Stan Musel, a couple years ago they told me I was too young to be president and you were too old to be playing baseball, but we fooled them. See, an age is just a number. And young people have great ideas, 
and energy. Older people have the wisdom and great ideas, and you got to come together. And that, that makes a pretty good team, actually. If you have too many of one or the other, it, it uh, gets you off balance. Uh, many of you may think, and you may not even word it like this, but just the way that you, you act and the way that you converse, um, you buy into the idea that the mic, and I would say this is actually a pretty big idea in America, the mic and the stage is what defines a leader. That if you have the mic or that you're standing in front of lights, you must be some leader. And that is not the case at all. It may be true that someone who is standing here is a leader, but it's not the mic that makes them the leader. What makes them a leader is being willing to serve and lead people to holy lives through godly mentorship and relationships. And that's why here lately we have been really encouraging people to get plugged into a Sunday school class or a community group because we believe that in order for the church to be the leaders that God has called us to be in this messed up world, it all starts with godly mentorship and relationships that can encourage us and challenge us to, to further in, in our walk with Christ. The second thing that I want you to get from the life of King Josiah is that through the word of God, changes to the status quo brought God's people back to him. King Josiah changed quite a, uh, quite a bit of what God's people knew as life. The temple changed. The way they socialized changed. The way they lived life together changed. Their extracurricular activities changed. And King Josiah brought about all of these reforms according to the word of God and what God's desires are for his people. Now, do you think everyone liked those changes? Not at all. These people had been living their lives like this for 80 plus years. Chances are nobody questioned it. They didn't think any differently. This is just the way life is supposed to be. And then all of a sudden King Josiah comes along and reads out of this so-called word of God that we haven't seen or heard about in 80 plus years. And we're supposed to live our lives by it. No doubt he received resistance from people. And then I got to thinking when I was reading, reading that and preparing the sermon is, don't sinful people love sin? Like we default to our sin. And when someone points out our sin and what we're doing wrong, a lot of times we question, are you serious? Like, get out of my face. No, this is how it is. And you need someone who is living their lives for the Lord to point those things out. And so, of course, they're not going to, to accept these changes. And so for us today, what we think as the status quo of how church is done Maybe the way church has been done in some parts isn't necessarily the best way. And we need, to, we need to constantly be asking that question to make sure that we are in a line with what God's desires are for his church. All right, so after King Josiah made all these reforms, let's read how the, uh, the Lord God responded to it. 
Nevertheless, oh, sorry, that's another transitional word, like then. Okay, count of three, we're all going to say nevertheless. One, two, three. Very good. All right. Nevertheless, the Lord did not turn away from the heat of his fierce anger, which burned against Judah because of, because of all that uh, Manasseh had done to arouse his anger. So the Lord said, I will remove Judah also from my presence as I removed Israel, and I will reject Jerusalem, the city I chose in this temple about which I said, my name shall be there. Interesting. So, God's people made all these changes, and God still says, I'm angry, and I'm going to let you know. I'm going to bring about my wrath. And when you read that text, you, you could take the approach and the attitude. You mean to tell me after all God's people changed their lives for God and made all these changes that he's still going to bring wrath on them? Well, I don't, I don't want to worship a God like that. I want to worship a God that's full of love. Well, let's not forget Romans 15.4, okay? Romans 15.4 said, that what is taught in the scriptures is to be used as an encouragement for you and for me for the hope that is found in Jesus Christ. So now we need to ask ourselves, how am I supposed to get encouragement and hope from this? Because according to this text, I make all the right decisions and I you know, try to change my life around. God's still going to bring wrath on me. He's still going to promise that? Well, here is uh, how I would answer that question on how we can find encouragement and hope. We can find comfort and security in knowing that God's justice doesn't depend or change on how we change. That God is consistent no matter what. And sure, you can take the viewpoint that God is full of wrath and anger and doesn't show mercy. You can, you can take that, that, that stance if you want. But here's what you need to know today. If you, don't know, if you do not have a relationship with Jesus today, here's what you need to know. And if you do have a relationship with Jesus, here's what you need to be reminded of. God does show mercy. Over and over again, actually. And if you read more of the Old Testament than just 2 Kings 22 and 23, you'll find that God's people constantly would fall away from God, do something against God, run away from God, and then God would come back on his time and show them mercy. We are the ones, we are the ones who break the law of God. We are the ones who walk away from God. And we do that because of our sinfulness. We, every morning you wake up, you default to your sin. And when you wake up, you got to remind yourself every day, this is God's day. He's Lord over all. The life of King Josiah is part of a bigger story. And it's part of 
the story that brought forth the need for a perfect, blameless, pure lamb. You see, because, you know, we try to live our lives by the law of God and the do's and don'ts, but we can't because we are fallen, sinful people. And because of that, it paved the way for the need of the Lamb of God, that being Jesus Christ, who died on a cross for your sins and my sins, so that we can, when we claim him as Lord and Savior, that we have this freedom in Christ that can be experienced. And it's because of the cross that we live among the Spirit of God that helps guide us towards righteousness every day. And when we claim Jesus as our Lord and Savior, God the Father no longer sees sinful, broken Cody Monkman. God the Father sees Jesus. That's why Jesus is so important. It's because It's because of Jesus that we're able to be in a right relationship with God. And we can be in communion with him. And he becomes not just our father, but he becomes our daddy. Someone who we can call upon when we need help, and, the, and he will be there. That is where you find the hope that Romans 15.4 mentions. You don't find that hope in other people. You'll find sin. You don't find that hope in yourself, which, you know, our culture outside these doors is going to say, do it yourself. Better yourself. You can't. You're sinful. You're broken. If you look inwardly, you're going to find sin. What you need is the one true God, and that's through Jesus. And you need to claim him as Lord and Savior. And when you claim him as Lord and Savior, you identify with Jesus. And when you identify with Jesus, God identifies you as a son or daughter. And you get to experience this freedom that non-Christians don't understand. They can't explain. So do you know Jesus? Do you see how King Josiah paved the way? Hundreds of years before Jesus, he paved the way for the need for a Savior to die on a cross. So that we can claim him not just as our father, but as our daddy. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, uh, I want to thank you uh, for bringing all of us here this morning. Uh, I want to thank you uh, for what you did in the life of King Josiah. I want to thank you for how you led him to bringing your people, your church, back to you. I want to recognize that that wasn't easy for them. I want to recognize that there, there probably was some pain in that. But I want to thank you for the lessons that can be learned uh, from King Josiah and how he put you, number one, in his life. And because of that came so much fruit and so much goodness that paved the way for your son Jesus. And I want to thank you for your son Jesus and what he did on the cross for us. Allowing us to be in relationship with you and experience that freedom that's found in the gospel. And I want to thank you for our family 
and our parents and our grandparents and the mentors that you have put in our lives who hopefully are a godly example that can lead us to the cross daily. It's in your son Jesus' name that we all pray. Amen. Now we